0: Um, And it's a very profound and personal book because you can tell there's a connection between the author and his subject. Well, no gospel reflects that more deeply than the Gospel of John. For the Gospel of John is written about Jesus, his life, his work, his ministry, the things that he said, the things that he's done. But it's offered from a unique perspective because it's written by Jesus' earthly best friend, And so as we look at these words together, we're reflecting uh, not on a disinterested account uh, of a man or a theological idea, but we're reading the words of a man who loves his subject, who loves Jesus Christ. And it is written so that we might love him too. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. John 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 18. This is God's Word. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going away, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for this remarkable story, your remarkable power, your remarkable goodness, your remarkable grace. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, for we, your servants, are listening. Hear our prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata had a very serious diving accident. In this diving accident, her spinal cord was crushed and she became a paraplegic. She spent, because of her injuries, 55 years of her life in a wheelchair. In the early days, when the accident had just occurred, she spent a lot of time asking God, Why? Why did this happen? Why me? Why, God, can't you heal my broken body? 55 years later, her perspective on healing completely changed. On the 55th anniversary of her accident, she wrote these words. I sometimes wonder, who am I, God, that you have brought me this far? Who am I to enjoy a a platform on national radio for 40 years? Who am I that I should be so blessed in marriage to my husband, Ken, for 40 years? And how did I ever have the strength to survive 55 years as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. The truth is, I didn't have the strength. I still wake up every morning needing God desperately. Like David, I often confess I am poor and needy. Perhaps that's how God brought me this far. I cannot say, but I do know that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is searching high and low for weak people who love Him so that He can pour into them His strength. Maybe that's my story, but how I arrived here is not for me to say. I just keep praising my sovereign God with every milestone that I pass. Sometimes when I look at Johnny Erickson Tata and I see her in that wheelchair, I wonder to myself, why did God leave her in that chair? Why didn't God heal her broken body? But then I think about all that she has accomplished. With God's help throughout the years, 45 books speaking to thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people about healing and hope. Helping to start two uh, amazing nonprofit organizations, Johnny and Friends, and Johnny's House, organizations where every person with disability finds hope. Dignity and their place in the body of Christ. I think of her serving two American presidents, helping to pass the Americans with Disabilities Act, and I think to myself, maybe God did heal her. Maybe her life and her ministry and her testimony forces us to grasp grapple with the idea that we don't actually know what healing means as christians we believe that god can heal anyone but does god heal everyone who does he heal Why does he heal them? How does he heal them? Remember that there were dozens of people who were sitting with the man who was healed by the pool of Bethesda. Many, many people who would have loved to hear Jesus' voice saying, Take up your bed and walk. And yet Jesus healed just one of those people. What happened to everyone else? Why didn't Jesus heal them? Were they unworthy to be healed? Am I unworthy to be healed? Did Jesus care about them? Does Jesus care about me? This morning we're going to talk about healing and hope. We're going to talk about how Jesus makes broken people beautiful. We're going to talk about sin and salvation. We're going to talk about the Sabbath. We're going to talk about the King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who became a servant. The mighty, matchless, powerful God who gave his life so that we might live. My guess is that some of you, like me, limped here to church this morning. Maybe you've had a rough week. I've had a rough couple of weeks. Maybe someone had to carry you emotionally or spiritually because you couldn't or wouldn't carry yourself. For me, that was called high school. (laughs) My parents carried me on their shoulders, uh, metaphorically and sometimes literally, for four years. I get it, high schoolers. If that's you, we're glad you're here We're glad someone brought you here this morning because Jesus wants you here in his presence. Maybe you really want Jesus to change your life, but it seems like you are always the last person in the pool. It seems like good things happen to other people, but never to you. If that describes your week or your month or your year or your last 38 years, then this story is good news for you. Jesus heals, Jesus saves, Jesus is making all things new. This is an amazing story, and there's a lot here, but I want us to focus on four things this morning. If you're taking notes, here's our outline. This is kind of our roadmap as we walk through the passage. First, We'll see that Jesus heals because we're broken. Second, we'll see that Jesus heals because he knows. Third, we'll see that Jesus heals because he cares. And fourth, we'll see that Jesus heals because he's able. He heals because we're broken, because he knows, because he cares. And because he's able. Can Jesus heal us? Will Jesus heal us? What does it mean for us to take up our beds and walk? Let's take a closer look. Our first big idea is this Jesus heals us because we're broken. The scene opens with Jesus arriving in Jerusalem for one of the feasts of the Jews. He entered the city from the northeast corner, and as he approached the temple, he approached a pool called Bethesda. Some of the other versions or translations that you might be using this morning might translate that Bethsaida, but whether it's Bethesda or Bethsaida, both words in Hebrew mean the exact same thing, or in Aramaic, rather. House of mercy, how appropriate that Jesus approached the house of mercy. We're told that the pool was surrounded by four colonnades, four gazebos, with a fifth colonnade dividing the pool in half into two rectangular pools next to one another. Interestingly enough, archaeologists rediscovered the Pool of Bethesda, Bethesda, in 1888. It was uh, was underneath a church called St. Anne's Church, which was built on top of the pools in 1188. If you visit Jerusalem today, preferably after the potluck, you can visit the Pool of Bethesda. It still exists. Now it's interestingly, I'm going digressing for a a moment, but critical scholars for hundreds of years claimed that this pool did not exist and therefore this is proof that this is a fictional story. It never really happened, but lo and behold, they discovered it, proving once again that critical scholars are almost always wrong. But again, I digress. Now, the colonnades were built to give shade to, according to John, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, who gathered there because they believed that this pool had mystical, magical healing powers. According to the legend, these waters would occasionally be visited by an angel of the Lord who would come down and stir up the waters. If you came down to the waters when the angels stirred them up, according to the legend, you would be healed. The catch was that only the first person who made it down to the water when the angels stirred it up would be healed. Everyone else was out of luck. It was a a cruel superstition. A game of survival of the fittest played by those who were the least fit. The desolate, the destitute, the lonely, the sick, and the poor. And here, underneath one of those shaded colonnades, Jesus took notice of a broken man. A man who was probably paralyzed since he was sitting on a mat, a mat that was likely used to carry him to the pool that day. We don't know exactly what caused his disability. Maybe he had an accident, or perhaps he was born with a medical condition like ALS or MS, something that kept him from walking. But John tells us that he had been disabled for 38 years, probably his entire life. He'd likely been passed by thousands of times. Some people offering him a, a cursory glance, maybe a look of pity, others a look of disdain, that an unclean person would have the unmitigated gall to situate himself so close to the temple, like a homeless person sleeping on the sidewalk outside of a church. I mean, just just put yourself in this situation. Imagine coming to the worship service this morning and having, having to step over or around a homeless person who is sleeping outside of our doors, what would you do? What would you say? Would you shoo them away? Would you call the deacon? Would you call the police? Those sights and smells have no place in the house of God. Or do they? Some of us look at this disabled person and we think to ourselves well i i can't relate to this person at all i'm not poor i'm not homeless i'm certainly not paralyzed i'm young i'm healthy I, I can run i can walk nobody has to carry me anywhere i can stand literally and metaphorically on my own two feet others of us look at this man and think well maybe he is a lot like me I I use a cane, I use a walker, I use a wheelchair, I I have glasses, I use hearing aids, I have aches and pains. When I go to the doctor's office, it's like Norm going to Cheers because everybody in that place knows my name. That was for you, boomers. You're welcome. (laughs) So is that what this story is really all about? Is it about sick people who need to be healed from their physical infirmities, their diseases? Is it a story meant to encourage people who have physical disabilities and challenges, people who cannot walk, people who are literally paralyzed like this man? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, this is absolutely a story for disabled people. It is for people who have aches and pains and disabilities and disadvantages. Absolutely. But if you look closer, you'll see that this is a story that is for all of us because it's a story about all of us. Some of us are, are physically broken like this man in the story. But all of us are spiritually broken like the man in this story. All of us have spiritual, emotional, and relational wounds that only Jesus can heal. What's interesting is that if you read this text in the Greek, you would notice something very interesting. The word that we translate invalid in verse 3 is translated weak in Romans 5, 6. In this passage, it refers to someone who has physical disabilities. In Romans 5-6, it refers to someone who has spiritual disabilities. Romans 5-6. For while we were still weak, while we were still spiritually and emotionally and relationally disabled, at the right time, Christ died For the ungodly. Are you starting to see yourself in the story? Are you starting to imagine yourself sitting under that colonnade by the pool of Bethesda? On a physical level, this disabled person is maybe a little bit like us. But on a spiritual level, he is exactly like us. We are broken people, physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, economically. We are, to use a theological term, totally depraved, which sounds as bad as it is. Now, that's not to say that we are as bad or that things are as bad as they could possibly be. Not at all. But it does mean that sin is like a wrecking ball. Sin destroys everything everything. It dismantles our lives. Now, if you're standing in the rubble of your house after a hurricane, thinking, well, this part of the house seems okay. I guess the hurricane didn't, didn't impact this. Well, you are probably hopelessly naive or perhaps completely uh, disillusioned, disconnected from any reality. The hurricane impacts everything in the house sin impacts everything in our lives that's why in this story jesus made the first move he made the first move because he always makes the first move he made the first move because if he didn't there wouldn't be any moves the disabled man didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, would you please heal me? Jesus asked the disabled man, do you want to be healed? That's the reason why I strongly suspect uh, verse 4, which is taken out of our ESV text and is appears in the footnotes of many of our passages, which says that an angel would come down and stir up the waters, and whoever stepped into the water first would be healed. The reason why I believe that that was not in the original text, beyond the manuscript evidence, which is very, very strong, is that the gospel of the magical pool is an anti-gospel, the gospel of the magical pool says if you get to the first the pool first you will be healed. The gospel of Jesus says I came to people who to heal people who cannot get to the pool at all. The gospel of Jesus says that my grace is for people who cannot help themselves. The gospel of the pool says survival of the fittest that's darwinism it's not christianity god helps people who cannot help themselves the gospel of jesus christ is for the weak the gospel of jesus christ is for the sick The gospel is good news for sinners. The gospel is good news for backsliders. The gospel says that God's saving grace given to us through Jesus, who died on the cross in our place, is for people who weren't even looking for Jesus at all. For people who cannot and would not make the first move. The gospel is for physically and spiritually broken people. People like this man. People like you and me. People who say, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another one steps down ahead of me. It's for people who say, Jesus, I need you to carry me to the waters of life. I need you to heal me. That's the first big idea. Who does Jesus heal? Jesus heals broken people. And good news, that's all of us. The gospel is good news for people like you and me. The second big idea is this. Jesus heals not only because we're broken, he heals because he knows. Many people saw this man and just kept right on walking. Jesus didn't keep walking. Jesus saw him. Jesus noticed him. Jesus paid attention to him. Jesus went out of his way to go to the one place in Jerusalem most people tried to avoid. This is essentially the ancient equivalent of, of a homeless encampment. A tent city filled with uh, schizophrenics and people who are wounded and hurt and addicted and broken beyond repair. The- these are the most desperate people in Jerusalem. Jesus went there. And he went there with his eyes wide open. Why? Because he knows. He understands. He is not surprised By our brokenness. He is not surprised by the sins that we have committed. He is not surprised by the sins that have been committed against us. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Because he knows we can be totally fully radically shockingly honest with god god i'm i'm hurting god i'm angry god i am frustrated god i'm afraid god i can't believe i did it again i can't believe that it happened again i'm so sick of this Because Jesus knows, we can just talk to God about how we're feeling. We don't have to edit our prayers for theological precision. We don't need a a divine proofreader who can go through and make sure that we've said everything the exact right way. Well, we do already have one. His name is the Holy Spirit, and He is God, and He does pray for us when our words fail us. So just ask, just confess, just lament, just open your heart to God who knows you better than you know yourself. Remember, Jesus already knows that we are broken and poor and needy before we even say a word. He already knows that we need to be healed. He already knows our suffering and pain. He experienced it In his life, in his body, and on the cross. Nothing that's wrong with you shocks him. Nothing that is wrong with you surprises him. He knows exactly who you are, he knows exactly what you need, and he says, Take up your bed and walk. That is a six word summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take up your bed. And walk he knows and he cares that's where we're going next our third big idea is Jesus heals not only because we're broken not only because he knows though he does he heals because he cares Jesus healed this man not only to show his power but to show his kindness to show his goodness and his grace Jesus loves broken people. He loves outsiders. He loves the poor. He loves the sick. He loves people who don't have any friends. He loves orphans. He loves widows. He loves sinners. And because that's true, we love like Jesus loved when we send doctors and nurses and dentists to places where people can't afford medical care. We love like Jesus loved when we give people glasses and hearing aids and canes and crushes and wheelchairs in Jesus' name. We love like Jesus loved when we put blue tarps on roofs. When we clean up yards, when we repair fences and provide meals after floods and hurricanes and tornadoes. We love like Jesus loved when we pray for people. We love like Jesus loved when we give people Bibles in their own language so they can read God's word for themselves. We love like Jesus loved when we talk to people about how much Jesus loved us, whether it's people that we're related to, people that we're friends, whether we're going door to door preaching the message of the gospel, which is according to Jesus Jesus. Good news for the poor. Notice that after Jesus healed this man physically, we would almost expect that this would be the end of the story. And yet Jesus was not done. He went to go and find the man in the temple. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. In other words, Jesus cared about this man's body, but he also cared about his soul. He healed him in order to make him holy. He came to make this man, this broken man, beautiful. He loved him enough not only to change his physical circumstances, he loved him enough in order to give him a new heart. Jesus cares about our bodies. He cares about our souls. He runs to the danger. He moves toward the hurt, all the mess, all the junk, because he cares. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, who had a lot of messiness in his own life, said this, Cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He loves you. He loves broken people. Fourth big idea, last one. Jesus heals because he's able. Now in the second half of the story, we encounter a dispute between Jesus and the Pharisees about healing on the Sabbath. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, which was frowned upon for reasons that only make sense to legalists. But not only that, Jesus had the audacity to tell this man to carry his mat, basically his wheelchair, the, the cot that was used to bring him to the pool of Bethesda. Now at this point in the sermon, I could probably go off on a 20-minute jag about legalism and how legalism poisons everything and steals our joy and ruins life for everyone. And that, all of that would be true, but that's another sermon for another time. For now, I want to focus on just this little highlight of the story. Jesus says, essentially, to the Pharisees, we're disputing with him, I am allowed to work on the Sabbath because God is allowed to work on the Sabbath, and I am God. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Who has the ability to heal our broken bodies? Jesus does, for he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who has the authority to forgive our sins? to take away our hearts of stones and, and give us hearts of flesh that we might serve him in a thanksgiving for what he's done for us. Jesus, he is our savior. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of shalom, the Lord of wholeness and peace and rest. Through his work on the cross, we could rest through his body, which was broken for us, we can be made whole again. Someday, this whole world will enjoy what the Bible calls shalom. Rest, justice, healing, righteousness, beauty, goodness, and truth. No more school shootings like the one that occurred in Nashville this week. No more grieving families and wounded churches. No more hospital rooms. No more funeral homes. No more suffering. The uh, disaster response guys who came today will have to find a new line of work. (laughs) Because there will never be a hurricane again. Thank God. There will never be tornadoes like the ones that affected so many people in Mississippi this week and Arkansas. We pray for them. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. In this miracle, he was healing one man to point to the reality that someday in the kingdom of God, he will heal all men and all women And all children from every nation and every people group on the face of the earth. And so, the question that Jesus asked this man is a question that I now pose to you Do you want to be healed? Do you want to experience the Sabbath rest that God has prepared for his people? Do you want to experience joy? Inexpressible joy beyond anything that you've ever experienced on this earth in the kingdom of God. I do. Then hear the voice of your Lord and Savior. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. Jesus healed broken people. Jesus heals broken people. And one day Jesus will heal all the broken people, for he will make all things new. That's what we'll celebrate next Sunday on Easter Sunday. That's what we'll celebrate and remember all week on this holy week as we think about the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. Our God is a healer. He makes broken people beautiful. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord, our God, our matchless Savior and King, we pray that you would heal our bodies. We pray that you would restore our souls. Lord, give us once again the joy of our salvation that we might, with a humble and contrite spirit, make known your ways upon this earth. Oh, Lord, we are so prone to forget. We go away from being healed, not even realizing who you are. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would press that on our hearts this morning and that you would indeed heal those who are in desperate need of restoration this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.